What is up, internets? Welcome to Self-Defense from All Angles, the podcast where we try to expand the conversation surrounding self-defense. I'm your host, Randy King, owner of 8020 Conflict Management Strategies. This is episode four. This week, we have the pleasure of talking to a current sex worker named Sarah. She goes over a ton of stuff when it comes to her field, myths, misnomers, and things to look out for. As a Canadian working in the sex industry where it is legal, she has quite the take on this field. She goes over things that people should look out for, the type of people that might be suited for this work and the type of people that might not be suited for this work who the most dangerous clients might be and some of the things that she has to worry about and look out for because of the way society views her job. This is a fascinating episode. If you've ever been curious about the sex industry at all, Sarah is a reputable person who's been in the industry for a while. She is a very educated human in this field. And I think everybody should take a listen to this episode. Also in the bonus content on patreon.com, Sarah talks about an event where a client did become violent and how she handled that situation. It's a very interesting story. And it could honestly probably happen to anyone if you don't pay attention to what's going on. So take a listen. There's a ton of very interesting stuff in here. A lot of lessons learned. And don't forget, if you, your organization, or your company are looking for more information when it comes to proactive self-defense that is education-driven, I'm available for workshops, seminars, and keynote speeches for your group. Now let's get to the show. What is up, everyone? Today we have on the show, Sarah. Sarah is a longtime friend of mine. Excited to have her on the show. She was on one of the original podcasts. If you want to check those out, go to Patreon. We'll promote it later. Very excited to have her on the show because of the nature of her work. And I think her work is one of the most misunderstood and swept under the rug places where self-defense exists. And if you've been paying attention to my content, I don't shy away from this topic even a little bit and it drives some instructors crazy. So let's drive them crazier. Sarah, why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourself? Well, first of all, that's a complete lie. We've never met. He just found me on the street, got me to do this. Either way. (laughs) Hi, my name is Sarah. I've been in the sex industry for pretty much my entire adult life. And the length of time that is depends on how old people think I am. So now that the uh, listeners kind of understand, you know, where you come from, you are in the sex field, the sex worker is probably the term I'm going to use for the rest of this because it seems to be the politically correct one for now. I'm sure I canceled later for it, but sex worker now personal definition of self-defense. I guess it's any action that you can take to make your life safer. With that being the thought process and in the field you work in, because there is, there's risk in every field, your field included. What are the things that you would like the listeners to know that maybe they don't know about the dangers of the industry you're in? What's overinflated? What's underinflated? That kind of stuff. Well, I think one of the things actually that people do know about this industry is the dangers, Mm -hmm. right? That is the entire societal perception of this industry is that we are all either victims or going to be victims. And that's very dehumanizing for us. So I think society does know how dangerous this job is. It just doesn't care. We are the okay victim. We are the people that get shoved down that, right? Like every serial killer ever who killed women kills sex workers. And that's just expected. So it's almost societally okay. 
I think that's a very interesting point. So one of the things we talk about all the time is predators go to where the prey is. And one of their major markers, one of their major parameters is not to get caught. So if they're killing people, they're seen as less than human, they're mm -hmm. more likely to get away with it. I think we still have a serial killer in the place where I live here in Edmonton. I think we still have a, a killer that's been killing sex workers that's never been caught. There is a, there's thought to be one, yeah. Right. Why do you think this stigma exists? Well, I blame religion and the media. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, most people in Canada don't realize that my job is not illegal for me in Canada, right? We get, most of our media is very American-centric and pushed up from America, and people seem to think we have the same laws. So, the media in America and the focus on sex work in America is very, very much that we are all victims. We've all been trafficked. We're all on drugs or forced on drugs. There's no agency. There's no personal agency for the women in it. I think that's definitely one of the first aha moments I had because with all of the people I've worked with in the industry you're in, obviously 0% of them were trafficked because they wouldn't be able to hire a self-defense coach if they were trafficked. So yeah, I, I think- allow that. <laughs> right. It, it's, it's, it's a bold strategy. Uh, so, <laughs> so I had to learn this, but like a long time ago, luckily I've had you as a friend inform me for a long time and look at the industry. Is it as dangerous as people believe it is because of the media? Oh, yes. And no, at the same time. Yes, this is a very, very dangerous industry. Yes, those things happen, those exist, but that happens to generally like a subsection of this industry. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of ways you can mitigate your risk. There's so many different aspects of the industry too. Like when we talk about sex work, everybody includes a different level, right? Some people call strippers, some say, nope, that's not sex work at all. So it really depends on a person's personal definition. And that's exactly the whole deal for this show, right? Self-defense for all angles. Why I ask what your definition is? Because everybody has different definitions. And mm -hmm. yeah, what is sex work is something that needs to be hammered out as this is it and this isn't because then people starts then people start getting left in the cracks right and the most important part about this is this industry has always existed number one but it's no longer in the shadows as much as it was with things like OnlyFans and like in the pandemic OnlyFans like quadrupled in numbers because of people doing extra stuff so it's becoming more acceptable as work but there isn't any change in the view or the enforcement or protection rather of the people in it when there's people coming in droves now. So I'm sure because you've been doing this for a while, your whole adult life, you've seen a shift in the industry. Are you seeing any shift on the safety and acceptance side or? No, because when you, when you talk about OnlyFans and talk about how this is becoming more acceptable, mm -hmm. things like OnlyFans are becoming more acceptable. But what I primarily do, which is escorting, is not. That is still seen the same as it was 10 years ago, right? Sure. I think actually the biggest impact on this becoming more okay is mm -hmm. the rise of polyamory. That has had a huge impact on how people perceive sex and relationships. Right. And it's actually making it easier for sex workers to have normal relationships and be honest about our jobs. Uh, I would say that has a much bigger impact than OnlyFans because OnlyFans gets categorized as an over there thing and we are an over here thing and they're different to people. 
Right. So people think pornography work is different than sex work, different than stripping, different than whatever webcamming or whatever. And you, like you said, there are different uh, jurisdictions and thought processes on that. Is stripping entertaining or is it sex work? Right. What is the level of that? I think it's interesting that you brought up polyamory in this because I would agree with you. I never thought of it. That's why I like the show, but that does make sense. And when we go back to like the original, the original thing we talked, which was, you know, serial killers and even on TV and the media, it's always like, oh, the hooker was killed. There's no face. There's no anything. It's just, oh, that person was killed. Don't worry about it. You expect them to be killed. Let's let the story happen now, which is awful in all ways. But when we look at it from the polyamory side, which like you said, may allow people to have relationships that didn't have relationships before. One of the biggest things we talk about in self-defense is how important community is, right? And if you are ostracized from the community because of the work, and in your case, you've chosen to do, you have not been coerced, you have not been trafficked, this is something you chose to do because it's legal in the country you live in, that immediately takes away the the safety net of a social circle, immediately takes away resources and people taking care of you because you can't explain what is going on. Yes? Yep. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a huge issue. So do you think then with the rise of this, do you feel it's getting a bit safer to do the work now because some people are more accepting of it, at least in some areas, and it's less shocking to hear it? Yeah, I would say the safety part hasn't necessarily come in yet. I think that's a very long game. Like that's a far distant future of this being much more accepted for a much longer time. People on on a one-on-one basis can be more accepting of somebody doing that job, right? And when it comes to dating, if you're looking for a relationship as a sex worker and you don't want to lie about what you do, which a lot of women do, you can just go into the polyamory community and you're able to be more open and honest right off the bat. Which automatically makes everything easier, including like the healing. If something bad happens, you have a community to talk to it about it openly and honestly, not having to hide it, right? With that then, what do you think the biggest... So let's say somebody decided they wanted to get into this work. What are the biggest red flags they should look for going in? And I know this is probably a question that's going to be different for every person because of services offered, et cetera. But like in general, what are some rules people should follow or things they should look out for in order to stay as safe as possible because we believe here 80 20 that (laughs) if you don't know what's normal you can't understand abnormal and if you're walking into a situation a job that is still arguably abnormal then you might allow things to happen that shouldn't even be happening in that space uh this is a topic that i could talk about for hours because there are so many mitigating factors you can take but the first thing you should look for for red flags is actually internally red flags in yourself for how you will handle this industry because it is not for everyone it's not there are people who can disconnect sex and emotions and there are people who can't if you have a connection between those two things naturally if you add emotion to sexual contact this industry is not for you it's going to destroy you internally and that's where a lot of the really negative stories come in and a lot of the really public voices from girls who've been in this industry who talk negatively about it it's because they're that type and they can't understand how the rest of us have no association with sex and emotion right how they're completely separate entities for us right so the first thing would be to look at yourself and really determine whether this industry is going to damage you or help you so Let's just stay on this topic for a bit. I know you have a lot to say here, but this is already (laughs) fascinating to me. So would you say then that might, that might be some of the societal problem with people accepting this work because most people are taught that sex and love are hand in hand? I would say that has a part of it. 
definitely because these societal things are like hammered into you from childhood. So pulling that apart for yourself is going to be really, really difficult. But there are just people who are like that and people who aren't, right? And we grew up in the same society. So I don't necessarily know that that's all it is. There might be an actual nature element there. There might just be people who the endorphins released during sex are going to create the bonding chemicals and they cannot control that. So there's obviously there's a sample size error here because all you hear about is the people that escape the horrific world <laughs> of sex. And because most people are keeping it secret, the successful ones never talk about it. Yeah. Right. Because why would they, they're trying to keep it secret. Do you think that the people that in, in your opinion, the people that have trouble separating sex from the work are the ones that are more likely to fall into addiction patterns and coping mechanisms. I've seen it a lot. You've seen yeah. it a lot. So th- they use that as like a numbing agent in order to deal with the situation because they can't they can't tear those two things apart. Yeah. I'm going to use women in general rather than gender neutral because primarily the sex workers I know are all women. But I've met a lot of women who have that like, I can't go to see a client without having a drink. I need to have at least a drink or take something some sort of substance before they can do that appointment because they are already putting themselves in a negative emotional state before going in there because they're that kind of person. Interesting. All right. So going on, what are some other red flags in the industry? Well, once you've looked internally and you can determine that perhaps this industry could be good for you, then like, man, you, the type of men who predate on the girls in this industry tend to go for the girls who are new to this industry more often than not. So you have to be ready for, you have to really practice your ability to say no to things. Mm -hmm. They know so much that it becomes your default because there will always be more money. There will always be another good client. Saying as soon as somebody gives you even the slightest vibe through the phone that they might be a negative client, just absolutely do not book with them. That's something I think most women in general in society have trouble with, right? The saying no to men. And they like to talk themselves out of it. They like to be like, oh, maybe he's a good guy or maybe it's fine. And, you know, maybe he's not and then you're dead. So Right. Because there's a very high risk of literally this is this it's the same issue that real estate agents have bear with me listeners it's taking strangers to secondary locations it's if you're doing an out call which is uh, I believe going somewhere instead of them coming to you you are going there that's the same problem real estate agents have they're taking strangers they don't know to isolated places self-defense 101 is don't let strangers take you to secondary crime locations that is but that is this, that is a necessity of the job. So now, I'm actually going to completely opposite your opinion on that. It okay. makes sense for realtors. Sure. But for me, an out call is more safe than an in call. Okay. How come? Because they're 99% at high end hotels and that person's name and identity is attached to that. There's cameras, their business is usually associated with that. That is the majority of where your outcalls are going to be is in a hotel, like a nice, decent hotel in the downtown area. Nothing's going to happen to you there. They would be ludicrous to try to fuck with you there. That makes sense because you're not going to an isolated space or going to a public space with isolation in it. But if you went to somebody's house, would the risk factors rise? The risk factors rise. I often don't take outcalls to people's houses depending on the area. And then obviously that that's when screening comes into it. You should pre-screen every booking, especially for an out call 
or you just hire a driver. You pay a friend 50 bucks to come sit in the car and wait for you for right. the hour that you're in there. So you're, we're talking bad feeling here. We're talking, you get a bad vibe immediately, then just don't get that client. And I would assume that is tough because you're getting into the industry. Most people, not everybody, most people get <laughs> industry to make as much money as they possibly can in a certain amount of time. You've heard my comparison already. I don't think there's a big difference between mixed martial arts fighters and sex workers. They're using their youth to get as much money as possible in that area before they have to retire. How hard is it, especially as you're starting out to turn down that, to not fight, to not squish the instinct in order to make that maybe a little bit of extra profit? Well, for my personal experience, it's not hard because I'm very good at saying no. I've naturally, I'm a naturally very stubborn person. For other people, I imagine it's more difficult. However, it's a very unique industry in that you, the busiest time for you is actually when you're new to it. Like your first six months in this industry, you will make potentially quadruple the money per week that you make the rest of the time you're in this industry. Right. Because you get all of the, um, all these regular clients who want to see the new girls because they have this like fresh meat thing. And they're not necessarily bad clients, most of them. It's just what they like. So it actually should be an easier time for you to say no, because there's always going to be another one waiting. You're not saying, but you could, it could be argued that you're going to start taking more risks the deeper into your career because it's not quite as prevalent. You're not getting quite the amount of clients that you would at the beginning. Yes. I don't know if you've noticed, but if you really look at a lot of the women who are on the street taking like the most risk, you know, actually walking the street, they're not 18. Right. Interesting. It's crazy. You make so much money at the beginning and then it, it kind of peters out. It's like the reverse of almost every other career where yeah. you start at the bottom and you work your way up in this one. You kind of, you have this abundance and then you go forward. Do you think that abundance right out the gate, like instant success solidifies people's minds that this is the right route to go even when it starts to trickle yeah. off? Yeah. I think because they've never had that experience before. And no matter how much some of us who've been doing this for a long time, try to tell them yeah. that this is because you're new. It's hard to not think, oh, but I'm making all this money. It's going to be like this forever. And they spend very frivolously because why wouldn't you? Right. If you just made $40,000 in a month, of course, you're just going to fucking do crazy shit with it. Like, why wouldn't you? Right. So, that's a very high estimate. That's like pre the 2009 recession amount that we would make. But girls did make that when they were new. That's not, I'm not pulling that number out of a hat. Right. And if you go to like, if we include OnlyFans as sex work, which I kind of do, then there's women making that easily. They're pulling that in, in a much safer way because there's a lot more uh, separation, but still there is, it's a lucrative. If it wasn't lucrative, nobody would do it, right? There's there's a reward to, to taking this, right? To ostracizing yourself in most cases, there's a risk reward kind of factor to it. And OnlyFans is definitely the opposite. You have to grow like steadily right. more to grow versus a huge dump off the beginning and then going down. So it, it's not, it's much safer, right? You can maintain complete anonymity off of OnlyFans if yeah. you want versus if I'm taking somebody as an in-call appointment, which is when they come to see me at like a private space that I have, mm -hmm. even if I'm not living at that space, if it's a permanent in-call that I use all the time, a stalker can find me again there. They can wait for me there. Eventually I'll show up there, which is why I think honestly, the majority of alcohols are safer. Which is awesome. And thanks for pointing that out because again, the hotel factor makes a big difference. Have you had that happen? Have you had people stalk you at locations? I don't know. So yeah. you, you might have, but there's no, nothing that affected your life in any way. Not currently. I've had a stalker, like a harasser who would right. stalk and harass me before. And I haven't heard from him in a while and it never impacted my life other than being very frustrating. 
but nothing that's currently impacting my life. No, that makes sense. So looking at the client base, let's talk about like your general kind of client. I think a lot of people think that like uh, people that hire sex workers, like grow out of a sludge pile and then hire them and then like melt back into it. Like they don't think they exist in society, which is kind of crazy to me. So why don't you talk about kind of your general client base? Is it all over the place? Is it a specific type of person? It is very uh, city to city. Okay. So um, your client base depends on the culture of the place you're in. So when I was living and working in Edmonton, it was a younger client base of guys who work really hard labor jobs for long periods, like oil field guys who are, you know, on two weeks of work and only a short time off because they just don't have the time and energy for a relationship. So that was much more common there versus being based out of Calgary now. It's primarily an older uh, professional businessman, a lot of business travelers who are coming in, which is why it's primarily hotels in downtown, very dependent on the city. Does travel give you that new girl money? Yes. So touring is beneficial in your career. Again, very culturally dependent, depends on the city, depends on being there at the right place at the right time. If there's an event happening and you book a tour to a city, your your business will be dead. Events absolutely kill us. Right. But yes, it's it attracts those same clients who are like, oh, I can only see her right now in this time and they'll all book you at the same time. But touring is inherently more dangerous because right. you probably don't have any sort of safety net set up if you're in a city for three days, right? Exactly. And as we've talked about in almost every episode, weirdly, social safety nets are super important for self-defense. It came up in every episode so far. So going back to your clients then, so clients come from kind of all ranges. You have a specific set you see, but they're, you know, they're people's fathers and brothers are not like creatures that come out of the night. You have now, we're going to do a little fictional scenario. A a, a person's Mm -hmm. coming to train under you in the field. What are some things you would tell them? What are the top things you would tell them to look out for in a client that has traditionally shown they might become trouble? Oh, I never take short notice appointments late at night. If somebody wants to book me after 11 p.m. and they have pre-booked like earlier in the day or a couple days before, I will accept that. But if they text me at 9 p.m. and want me to come over, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm just not. Why do you feel those are the most, the hardest ones to deal with? Those are the ones that are most likely to be on some sort of substance, whether that's alcohol or something else. It doesn't matter to me. It's a substance and it's going to impact their judgment. And I do not want to be in that situation. Right. That makes total sense. So is there any other things you look for? Let's say you, they booked you in advance, but you walk into the room and are there things you look for? Like, what is your threat assessment? I guess would be the best way to say that. So I'm, I'm a bit of a princess. If it's dirty, I leave. I'm keeping that deposit and I'm leaving because I'm not taking my clothes off in a dirty environment. Honestly, when you are dealing with people who have pre-booked you and went through screening, you don't get those dangerous people. You just don't. The odds of that happening are so, so small that I don't deal with it anymore now that I am mandatory screening and mandatory pre-booking. Makes sense. So that's for you. I'm saying brand new person. They have a ton of clients. They don't know what to look for. That's why screening is like you set up whatever type of screening you want. And I would go through different ways that girls screen. You can go on Twitter and talk to a bunch of girls in the industry, Mm. huge sex worker community on Twitter and find out ways that other girls screen their clients and copy one of those and just hold to it 100% of the time. That's it. 
you get that one guy who asks like, oh, well, can I avoid screening? I'll just give you extra cash when you arrive instead. Just don't book him. Be a right. completely firm. There's, this is absolutely mandatory to do your pre-screening. Is there a sense of community in your industry because you've been ostracized for so long? Is there, like, I'm sure there's obviously in every field, there's people who are going to stab each other in the back, but is the field more backstabbing or is it more welcoming? There are two subsets of this industry that are like one of one and one's the other, right? Like, right. so there is a great community, especially Twitter is pretty much our only safe place anymore as sex workers to still like talk to each other and be like openly sex workers. And we still get banned on Twitter sometimes. So it's a thing. So there's a great community on Twitter, especially of American girls, because it's much more dangerous in America. So they all look out for each other. Right. But then there's the other group of girls who do like, they will book you up with fake appointments. They'll text you and try to make fake appointments all the time because they want to chase you out of their city or they want to make it seem like you're so booked up that they will get the clients. That's not how bookings work. So it doesn't really work for them. So there's both. There's Which is more prevalent? I couldn't tell you for sure because I do not know how many girls actually partake in that negative part. It could be just a couple of girls per city that are very prolific and using different numbers all the time, or it could be a huge portion. It seems like I would say 50% of the girls in this are very, like a very good tight-knit community. And then the other 50% would be split into the apathetic ones who don't give a fuck and the ones who are actively stabbing you in the back. Right. We were going to do a, I would use your page to people harassing you via text. And it was actually a lot smaller than I thought it was going to be. So it didn't end up being as interesting as I thought we kind of let the thing go. But I think that like even me, but even a person who's like talks about this has knows people in the field. I still expected a higher level of vitriol. I expect a higher level of bad clients. Do you think that's like, I think that's the prevailing theory. Is your job as dangerous as people say it is, or is it equally as dangerous as most jobs where if you run into people, People you don't pay attention, like where would you put it? I think this job is extremely more dangerous than most jobs. Okay. Um, because the type of crime that could happen to us is much more potentially violent, right? Like on the regular, mm-hmm. like girls get murdered regularly. Right. Don't like even police officers don't necessarily get murdered regularly, right? Right. So this job is far more dangerous. It's just that I am not in the part of this that is the most dangerous. And most of your information coming from me is going to be my experiences, which are mostly positive. But there is a huge percentage of girls who do not work like I do. And they deal with this constant danger and constant issue. That makes sense. And I agree, you are you are probably one of my primary data sets, but there's a lot of data sets, weirdly. I agree, but again, sample sizing issue, right? The people that talk to me are people that are allowed to talk to a self-defense instructor. So there's a sample bias of people that I'm talking to. When I've yes. worked in the recovery space with people who used it on the other side, addicted to drugs, whether they were forced into it or they chose to use it, it tells a much different tale. Why do you think, only one side of the story is being told. I think there's a lot of factors to that. I think media perception is number one. Like you're never going to get a big media company to talk to me. They're not going to, they don't want to, they want to put like the absolute worst story out there and get the most attention to it. That's Mm. what they do. And it's been happening for so long that it's just the baseline. It's what everybody thinks it is. 
like we have to actually build it back up from the ground to change the perception. So it's just such a long game. Do you feel that because it's a, a religious sexual nature, that's people frown on it? Because statistically, I looked this up, fishermen die in way higher numbers than sex workers, but that job's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's because it's women. Right, primarily. it's because it's well, women primarily, yeah. Because we're women being predated on, it's seen as okay because we're sexually active women. Right. Society treats sexually active women, even if they're not a sex worker, look at women who get date raped at the bar or something, right. how the system treats them and they're not sex workers. Mm -hmm. So imagine adding that level to it. Right? Look, look at even, so I have a friend, her sister is going into a high level job. She is very open in just the BDSM community, the very consensual, very, <laughs> and she's terrified to speak about it because it might wreck her sister's chances of attaining this position. So you're right, as soon as, yeah. yeah, it's insane, but as soon as somebody is liberated in that way, whether it's for money, whether it's just for fun, it, it tends to ruin people, which I don't know, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but also I don't got a lot of power, so maybe I don't get it. <laughs> well, it's another like, let's keep women down here where they belong thing, sure. right? It's another part of that. Because if it was a man who is a dominant, like that wouldn't ruin his siblings, chances. No, it ruined his chances, but not his siblings. I agree with that. It wouldn't be like a collateral effect. Yeah. It's yeah. much because they're it's sisters, right? Yeah. So two women, yeah, they're going to get just like, ah, well, if one of them's a degenerate, the other girl must be too, you know? Which obviously is true. That's how that works. Stupid. Yeah. It rubs uh, off, right? What do you think the biggest dangers in your field are? You know, I guess that depends on how people define dangers because if you chose not to use condoms for anything, then your biggest danger is going to be risk of contracting STDs, right? Mm -hmm. like, so STIs now, I guess. Uh, that, and I would say the mental health toll is the most prevalent because we do get a lot of vitriol and we do get a lot of societal, like negative societal pressure on us and it will take its toll on you. I used to be much more upfront with even just strangers and people I met about what I do. Right. I'm not that upfront anymore. Right. I'm usually just like, ah, I just do I do web design. Shut up. <laughs> right. Yeah. I do a job that you don't want to ask more questions about. Exactly. I just don't have the mental energy to constantly have that conversation anymore. Right. And I think this is the problem that happens with a lot of people. It was happening a lot with like the George Floyd thing, for example, is just because somebody's of that group doesn't mean they are the ambassador of that group. Right. <laughs> so you might be seen as an ambassador now that you've been on a podcast a little bit, but it's not your job to tote the holiness of what you're doing to every bagel dealer and ice cream vendor on the planet. Right. It's too much. It's too much. It's too much. And I don't mind being an ambassador of it on a platform like this right but it, if i'm just going for fucking coffee right. i'm not fully prepared to just like go into this in-depth uh, talk about morality yeah i'd like caffeine please before you even look at me in the eyes let alone tell me your whole <laughs> explain my whole yeah. worldview to you i always find this interesting because there's a lot of misnomers and i get the amount of vitriol I get from other self-defense instructors for even talking to people like you is insane. How could you? Yeah. How dare I look at a vulnerable sector of society, want to protect them as a self-defense instructor? <laughs> how crazy am I? 
insane. But I think like, this is why these conversations to happen is the other side of it. You have done this for a while. You are successful at it. You have no addiction issues. Your mental health is as good as it would get. Your anything you have is genetically there, not from the job you did, right? Yeah. So I think that this is good. And I just want to be clear. I'm not saying people should get into sex work. I'm saying you're an adult, do your own stuff. You're an adult. When you're looking at this field, when people say things, because I would imagine it's very similar to me of, oh, I know how to fight. So I should become a fighter. People <laughs> like, I got a vagina. I should become a sex worker, right? Everybody, you know, oh, if my job doesn't pay me anymore, I'm gonna have to go dance on the pool like people would pay you. But understanding how many people come to you, when people do come to you, about it, like, I want to do this. What do you say? Well, like the first thing that I said is the most important, right? right? Is like, look at yourself. Can you handle this job? Like, these are the reasons why you might not be able to. Are you this person? Are you this type A or type B? Like, let's right. put a dividing line because only the one set can handle this job. Is there anything else you want to speak of on the subject? I know you have a lot to say. Honestly, like the social stigma in right. this job makes our job more dangerous. 100%. I think that's a really important thing that people need to know is that when you categorize us as victims and take away our agency, you make it more dangerous for us. Yes. Right? It's giving, predators are looking for victims. You're giving them permission to use us as victims, right? right. If I call the police uh, and they, they, I had an instance where the police had to drive me back to my hotel because a client had stolen my car keys. I got kicked out of the hotel because the police took me back. Like, that's insane. That shouldn't happen. But the hotel is just immediately like, well, we don't want this here. Like, we don't care if you die. Right. Just don't die here. Right. So just the general dehumanization of you because of your chosen career is, is probably one of the biggest problems. Yes. Like, it actually makes our lives more dangerous. Well, and again, that goes back to the social structures. And, the, and I think that's why when I was saying, like, there's a lot of people in this field that talk to me because I'm willing to talk to them. And it's not because they're victims, they need savings. Like, there's so many toxic white knights out there that are doing it all for the wrong reasons. They talk to me because I'm willing to have a conversation because they're people which I know is hard for people to understand. I'm going to lose some listeners from this for sure. There's just no way around it. But this stuff needs to be talked about. These are people. Like dehumanizing them and putting them in a weird spot, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, is there issues like you mentioned, right? Yes, there is trafficking. There is drug. There is that kind of stuff. How prevalent have you, have you seen that? Is it as prevalent as people think it is? As prevalent. A fraction uh, as prevalent, yep. In, in somewhere like in America where this is illegal and there's no recourse for girls, right. it's going to be more prevalent. But here in Canada, it's remarkably not common. Right. Um, I think I've known two girls in Alberta total in a very long time. I'm knowing a lot of girls who have had pimps. Right. That's it. Right. Like out of literally thousands of girls, I can think of two who've actually had pimps. Wow. Yeah, it's just a media perception. It's not, it's not that prevalent, but that's not saying this isn't a dangerous job. It's a very dangerous job. Yeah. So then the logic that I already follow, but I'm just going to, we're going to walk it out for everybody listening is the more illegal they make this, the more danger that it puts on the people involved because it allows the criminal element to get away with this because they're already dehumanized. Yes. And they have no recourse. Right. I, as a Canadian, I can call the police. If something happens and things have happened to me and I have called the police, and sometimes I've went to court and a couple of those times have resulted in convictions. Right. Because I'm protected in Canada. If I'm in America, I can't call the police. I can't. 
that is actually the perfect segue to get us to the one up story. Maybe <laughs> she will tell us one of these stories that'll get us the one up story for Patreon. So as always, patreon.com slash Randy King live $5 level, all the extra content, including all the devil's advocates, extra content, and all of my podcasts exist on Patreon. Every single one is there. So if you want, if you miss the other formats, you don't like this one, blah, blah, blah. Feel free, jump on, listen to the other ones. I need the views. Obviously, as always, like, share, subscribe, do all the internet things the YouTube people tell you to do. That helps me as well. Tour coming up, book coming up. September is the tour. I'm in Europe. We're doing 10 seminars in five countries. You got to look that up. I'm not going to list it. Where can people find you? Oh, that depends on if they want to find me or not. Fair um, enough. <laughs> I am on Twitter. My handle is you will love Sarah, S-E-R-A. I have an OnlyFans. It's all linked there. Everything's linked up to Twitter. So Cool. So if you want to talk more or do whatever, feel free to jump over to Twitter and you can get a hold of Sarah. That's it for this show. We'll be releasing the show weekly from this point forward. So we have 20 episodes in season one. Then we'll be doing season two probably in November, but you won't know because it'll be coming out weekly and time works differently for you than on the internet. So we'll be doing season two if this show does well after some tweaks, et cetera, et cetera. If you have any questions, please feel free to ask. Thank you so much for your support and jump over to Patreon if you want to hear the one-up story.